Hi everyone! Today on the All You Need to Know About Human Physiology podcast, we'll be covering the major concepts of the importance of the immune system and of the innate and acquired immune systems, in addition to creating representations of how the immune system protects us against viruses, how testing for COVID-19 viruses and antibodies work, and how vaccines work. As of right now, this topic is one that is highly talked about. However, there are several misunderstandings and misconceptions going through the mainstream media. So let's try to debunk some of these rumors. To start off, Meyer states that our body aims to fight against three things, pathogens, dead and damaged cells, and abnormal cells. Damaged and dead cells are accounted for through a scavenging system, while abnormal cells we can see through tumors or cancers and even through HIV and AIDS. Moving on, our body enlists the help of several defense mechanisms for these three problems. To start, we have physical barriers like our skin and the rest of the integumentary system, and there are several enzymes in the system that aid in the physical protection of our body through chemical barriers. As for the immune defenses, these can be innate or acquired, as Meyer relates. Innate means that our body already has these features and they are nonspecific, while acquired means that our body has created these immune defenses as a result of exposure to a pathogen or virus, as shown on slide 4. So question time, what is an example of an innate immune defense? Acquired? Yes, an example of an innate or nonspecific immune defense is the mucus in our nasal cavity. The mucus in our nose is able to trap different debris or dirt. In order to stop foreign material for, from getting into our lungs, the mucus provides a lubricant barrier, as Meyer explains. An example of an acquired response are specific antigens that an antibody can respond to or recognize. What is important in our immune defense is the organization of these processes. On slide 4, we see that first comes detection, then communication and recruitment, and then suppression or destruction of the invader. So now let's cover some of the organs and cells that make up our lymphatic system that help within our immune system responses. Meyer relays that bone marrow leukocytes, which are white blood cells, the thymus, spleen, lymph nodes, and the lymph vessels make up our complex lymphatic system. Bone marrow is where our white blood cells are created, the thymus is where our T lymphocytes can mature, the spleen stores red blood cells and filters the blood, the lymph nodes are where we see high white blood cell concentration, and the lymph vessels allow for plasma to travel through the body to the nodes. Remember how we talked about our innate immune system? Let's look a little more closely into the intricacies of the system. As we mentioned prior, the innate immune system has physical and chemical barriers that protect our body. However, it also entails interference, phagocytosis, and an inflammatory response. In order to remember the four responses of our innate immune system, you can think BIPI or B-I-P-I. Interferons block reverse transcription, which means that DNA is generated using an RNA template. Phagocytosis occurs with macrophages, neutrophils, and natural, natural killer cells, as shown on slide 8 of MLO5. Additionally, sometimes the bacteria with capsules must be coated for phagocytosis to occur, as shown on slide 9. The inflammatory response, however, is a great display of our innate or nonspecific immunity. 
When there is a wound or some external stress placed on our body, our skin will begin to get inflamed, causing redness. This is extremely helpful as the blood vessels will begin to dilate and open more so that more blood can flow into the area, causing the redness. Meyer explains that extra blood means that more white blood cells can get to the area, which causes swelling, and the inflammation is then cleared by the lymphatic system. Within the inflammatory response, there's also cytokines that signal initiation. When complement proteins or opsonins try to get inside a pathogen, they create a pore which forms a membrane attack complex so that water enters a cell in order to swell and lyse the cell, as shown on slide 10 of MLO5. So question time, what is the process of phagocytosis? Exactly. Meyer notes that phagocytosis is a form of cell eating where a cell can engulf another cell, breaking down and expelling its contents. One more question. How does inflammation relate to interleukins? Correct. Interleukins are seen when there is a rise in fever, which results in blood vessels dilating, which allows for the white blood cells to come together, showing another form of the inflammatory response, as shown on slide 11. So now that we have covered innate immunity, why don't we focus on acquired immunity? Acquired immunity is when we gain antigen-specific responses that we do not inherently have or were born with. As Meyer relays on slide 13, acquired immunity can come through both T lymphocytes, which shows a direct attack, or through B lymphocytes, which can become memory cells or plasma cells, which are then shown as antibodies. The antigen-specific responses can happen through a multitude of ways. Slide 14 of MLO5 does a great job of describing all the different responses that can occur. As shown, when an antigen binds to an antibody, a specific set of responses occurs. First, B lymphocytes are activated, which can lead to the creation of memory or plasma cells, as we mentioned before. Next, the antigen-antibody complex can act as as an opsonin by becoming coded in order to help phagocytes recognize the pathogen. Additionally, antigen clumping, antibody-dependent cellular responses, mast cell degranulation, or complement activation can all occur as responses. So question time, what is mast cell degranulation? Perfect answer. As shown on slide 14, a mast cell is one that is enriched in histamines. Meyer explains that when we have degranulation, this triggers the exocytosis or release of several molecules of histamine. As we learned prior, when histamine is released, this results in swelling as more blood vessels are dilating and then we have the inflammation. It is good to remember that this is a local response and not all of the mast cells will be degranulated. Continuing on with the explanation of the acquired immune system, T lymphocytes are especially helpful. T lymphocytes have specific receptors that they can bind to. Additionally, MHCs or major histocompatibility complexes are the receptors that can represent parts of cells that are immune or non-immune cells. On slide 15, Meyer explains that MHC1 is on all nucleated cells and MHC2 is on some immune cells in order to notify that these are foreigners and must be attacked. 
Additionally, cytotoxic T cells respond to MHC1 and helper T cells respond to MHC2 in order to help boost the immune response and become more efficient, as Meyer relays. Now, how does our body actually use these innate and acquired responses to defend against a virus? Well, the response is coordinated. First, Meyer explains that we will have opsonins that try to inactivate or attack the virus. Next, macrophages will contribute to different inflammatory responses, reverse transcription through interference, and activation of cells. Lastly, as shown on slide 18, helper, cytotoxic T, natural killer, and B cells are created in order to form plasma cells so that antibodies are formed. If antibodies are present, our bodies will know how to fight the foreign invader if a future infection is seen. So the next segment of the podcast will focus on two videos relating to what we have learned and how we can describe that using the COVID-19 pandemic. The first video was on infection, and I thought there were a lot of notable points and I wanted to mention them all with you. BioInteractive states that COVID-19 comes of comes from a family of coronaviruses. In humans, the virus affects the respiratory system, contributing to coughing, chills, or other flu-like symptoms, but these symptoms can vary uh, by person. In COVID-19, the viral RNA genome is able to fuse with a plasma membrane of a cell using the spikes that are present on the genome, which gives it its name of corona. Our cells translate this RNA into proteins, creating extra copies which further affects other cells, as BioInteractive says. Now that we understand how infection occurs, let us talk about the last video of detection. Throughout the course of the pandemic, I have gotten tested, and while it is not the most pleasant experience, it is truly remarkable. In order to test for infection, an RT-PCR, rapid, or mouth swab tests are conducted, as BioInteractive says. The RT-PCR and the rapid tests are both conducted through a cotton swab, which is inserted through the nose. The mouth swab is inserted through the mouth so that a sample from the throat can be taken. I've had both the RT-PCR and rapid tests, but I've not yet taken a test that requires a mouth swab. If you have, let me know what you thought of it. Additionally, BioInteractive explains that all of these tests are used in order to look for pieces of the viral RNA genome in order to check if someone is infected. Result times may vary, but in my personal experience, the RT-PCR has taken anywhere from one day to a week to receive results because the test must be sent to an external lab. The rapid test results I have had were usually available 15 minutes after the test was taken, but a specific machine is required to read the results. BioInteractive says that due to the variability of the RNA antigen antibody production times and the variability of sensitivity to the tests, doctors recommend that you repeat the test at various amount of times. Question time, how do you check if you have antibodies for a virus? Exactly. In order to check if you have antibodies, you must have a blood test taken, as BioInteractive says. Our final discussion for today will focus on the vaccine. As vaccination numbers are on the rise, there are still several people that do not trust the vaccine. I, for one, wholeheartedly believe that this vaccine has the power to change the course of the virus. I personally was able to receive the Pfizer vaccine, which I am beyond thankful for. As a volunteer at the Children's Hospital of Michigan, I was asked to receive the vaccine due to close patient interaction. 
and I have now had both doses and I wanted to explain the process to anyone who is concerned or apprehensive. The first dose is injected through a needle in your deltoid muscle in the upper arm region, as the CDC relates. The effects of this dose were minimal for me. Besides pain in the injection site, I felt no symptoms. After 21 days, you must get your second dose. Different vaccines have different timings or amounts of doses, but the Pfizer vaccine calls for two doses 21 days apart. The CDC says after the second dose, it is likely for patients to have flu-like symptoms, including chills, headaches, coughing, or fever. After my second dose, I had chills and headaches for around two days, but they went away quickly. As explained by the CDC, the response to the second dose shows that your immune system is working to actively fight against the virus. The symptoms do not mean that you have COVID-19 and you cannot transmit your symptoms to others as you do not actually have the virus. The vaccine uses mRNA to be injected into our bodies. Different from other immunizations, the Pfizer vaccines do not involve injecting any substance that contains the coronavirus. The, the mRNA gives instructions to make spike proteins, which are then recognized by our immune system as foreigners, further creating antibodies to protect against future infection, as the CDC says. That's all for today. I hope you learned something about the major concepts of the importance of the immune system and of the innate and acquired immune systems, in addition to creating representations of how the immune system protects against viruses, how testing for COVID-19 virus and antibodies work, and how vaccines work. See you next week for another discussion. All of the information today was brought to you by the lecture titled Bio3200 MLO5211 by Dr. Meyer, articles from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and the videos titled Biointeractive Biology of SARS-CoV-2 Detection and Infection Videos. Thanks and have a great rest of your day.